So in 2015, the Barna Group conducted a, a multi-phase research uh, study on the state of discipleship in the American church. And what Barna's research revealed, um, some of the language that followed as people read the, the research and um, started summarizing its findings, it, it, the language of a crisis of discipleship in the church is kind of what emerged. The researchers found that... Clicker. Let's see if this works. Oh, uh, yeah, she got it's here. Crisis of discipleship. So uh, some of the things that the research revealed uh, were that only 1% of church leaders say, quote, today's churches are doing very well at discipling new and young believers. Hmm. They found that the two most significant barriers to spiritual growth, which the study used nearly synonymously with discipleship, um, but they said that uh, two of the most significant barriers to spiritual growth are the, quote, busyness of life and a lack of commitment to discipleship. Um, among a significant number of Christians, there was, quote, simply no drive to prioritize spiritual growth. Only 37% of self-identified Christians said it was, uh, quote, very important to pursue spiritual growth. And the majority of those preferred to pursue it on their own. 41% of respondents consider, said that they consider their spiritual life, quote, entirely private. And among Christian adults, 35% uh, were using only some sort of non-personal discipleship like podcasts or listening to music. Only uh, non-personal to make up their, their discipleship or their tools for spiritual, spiritual growth. So if you ask almost any pastor today uh, in, in the West, uh, in America, like what the most important thing for they or for the churches to be pursuing is, almost all of them will say discipleship. Almost everybody. Like it's enough in, it's been on uh, pastor's pastoral radar for uh, long enough time that that's, it's emerged as, as like the prominent thing that almost everyone will will say. Many of them have Matthew twenty eight eighteen emblazoned on the sides of their you know, church atriums, and many of them have, have it tattooed on their arms. Um, but if that discipleship is supposed to be prioritizing, raising up the next generation, um, what Barna found should be pretty alarming because their research said that only 3% of 16 to 29-year-olds in America have had a positive view of evangelical Christians. Uh, and that number has likely gone down since the research was conducted in 2015 mm -hmm. uh, with the There's marriage yeah. between the American Evangelical yeah, Church sure. and the Trumpian Republican Party, <clears throat> uh, which is, whatever your personal opinions about it are, it's overwhelmingly reviled by younger generations. So, um, <laughs> The younger generation says yes. <laughs> so you may have mixed feelings, as I do, about the term evangelical Christian, but for the last several decades, like it's been the most commonly used term to describe those who take the Great Commission, the passage that we just read seriously, um, and who orient their lives around following Jesus. Now, we may not hold on to that term, uh, and yet there are babies that could get thrown out with that bathwater. Uh, James just uh, mentioned this as we met for coffee a few days ago, that Willow Creek, um, they had this big study, it was called the Reveal Study back in 20, 2007, yep. where they took some bold steps to acknowledge the failure of their particular model uh, at producing mature and transforming disciples of Jesus. 
And it was interesting to see, I, I remember when that came out and um, there was this like piling on that happened at churches, all like this hand-wringing, like, see, we told you so, kind of arrogant response to, to Willow's, uh, you know, nobody compelled them to do this study. They were, it seemed, born out of good faith, like desiring to account, reckon with how good are our ecclesial systems, our church systems and structures, uh, how effectively are they producing uh, this end goal that we have said that has always been our goal, to make disciples. Um, and so even while all these churches and pastors and leaders and everything were jumping on Willow with this like, see, I told you so attitude, um, there were very few churches who were willing to do the, the same kind of like scrutiny of their own systems and structures and policies and, and, um, and, and church cultures that Willow was. Um, and even fewer were willing to see that or admit that Willow's conclusions pretty much implicated them too because – the survey that the surveys that um, that Willow conducted to make up the, the 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 content for this reveal study, they weren't just isolated to Willow Creek and its affiliates, um, or even just to those churches that subscribed to the seeker-sensitive model. The reveal study was based on seventy-five thousand surveys conducted among over two hundred and fifty churches, many of which did not subscribe to the seeker-sensitive church model at all. And what that significant body of uh, of research through surveys revealed was that like across the board on those 250 churches um, they were not effectively creating disciples um, and and so as Willow was reckoning with what that meant for them um, the implications went far needed to go far beyond uh, the, the, the walls of, of Willow so to speak um, the failure to produce people who lived Christ-centered, Christ-like lives. It went, it went way, way, way far beyond the seeker model. And the conclusions that the reveal study and the growing body of research that Barna and others are revealing about the state of the American church and discipleship in the American church. And I would say that those two things could probably be paired with our firsthand experiences um, or many like the, the firsthand experiences of most people who like read the New Testament and then they walk into a church and, you know, feel like stark contrasts between, and not just cultural, like first century Israel versus, mm-hmm. you know, 21st century America, but like fundamental differences between what's found there. I remember reading about uh, John Wimber, if you know that name, he was the kind of the founder of the Vineyard Movement out in California back in the, the 70s. And he was a hippie and super smart dude and very cynical and very anti-religion. And then... I can't remember exactly the specifics of his testimony, but somebody turned him on to Jesus and he started reading the gospels and, and became compelled by this figure, this Jesus of Nazareth and gave his life to, to following him. And he, and he showed up at a church not too long thereafter and sat through a, 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 you know, fairly typical church service. And at the end asked a deacon or something. So like, when do you guys do the stuff? Like, what do you mean? You know, like the stuff. You know, I've been I've been reading the book of Acts and like when do you guys do the stuff? You know, the the healings and like the, the Holy Spirit, like when do you do the stuff? And the person like didn't know how to respond and it became a critical part of what fueled uh, the birth of, of the vineyard movement was this seemingly irreconcilable contrast between uh, the the power and the efficacy and the um, the, the explosive growth 
uh, of the Jesus movement um, around discipleship and what he was experiencing there. And I would say probably what many of us have experienced, like these stark contrasts. And it's not to say that there aren't amazing churches doing amazing things or that perhaps we aren't, uh, haven't been a part of those things. But I think it's safe to say that we've probably all had firsthand experiences with those stark contrasts. Like, when do we do the stuff? Like, um, you know, and I, I think some of this is, is, is painting a picture of the, of the state of the church that gives birth to why, why we're committing ourselves to this crazy endeavor of uh, starting a new church. It is, Lord willing, not born out of an arrogance that says that we're going to do it better. Um, but, but it is born out of uh, a faith and a hope that, um, that perhaps Jesus is readying people uh, to, in some ways, return to things that have been lost. And in some ways, to partner with him in doing something genuinely new and novel. Um, and the point for us will not be the novelty itself, uh, but purely and simply a return to discipleship uh, as a central feature, as a central defining mark uh, for who the church is and why she does what she does. Um, Maria and I have been, we've been a part of a number of church planting initiatives. We helped start, I don't know if you're familiar with the language, but attractional church. We started a fairly typical attractional church uh, 13 years ago in Henry County, Georgia, south, uh, south of Atlanta. And, and then we helped start a house church or missional community thing in downtown Atlanta a few years later. And then we were on a team that started kind of a hybrid multi-site church campus in Lincoln Park almost seven years ago. And through that time, I've, I've at times been kind of fixated on church models. Um, but in, that, in those 13 years that I just described in broad strokes, I, I really become convinced that a fixation on church models is, is never really going to fix anything. Um, ecclesiology is the technical term for, for what I'm describing there. Uh, and ecclesiology, a fixation on ecclesiology will never in itself systematically produce mature disciples. It never will on its own. That's not to say that ecclesiology, ecclesiology is inconsequential. It's absolutely not. Uh, but it is to say that we cannot fix the problem by tinkering with our church structure. Instead, I believe we have to recover a radical picture of discipleship. Uh, many of you heard, have heard me quote my, my favorite missional theologian, Al Hirsch. Uh, he wrote in his, in his book, The Forgotten Ways, which came out probably close to a decade ago, uh, that ecclesiology is, is kind of the cart and Christology is the horse. Um, and if we put the, the cart before the horse, the ecclesiology before the Christology, um, not much is going to change. So uh, Christology, it simply means immersion in the life and the teachings and the presence of Jesus of Nazareth. So in his book, The Forgotten Ways, Hirsch, uh, he spells out this kind of like missiological formula that he believes, and, and I've become more and more convinced uh, since reading it, that it's, it, it holds a key for the revitalization of the church in the West. It holds a key for answering the problems that Willow's study revealed, that Barna's research uh, revealed, that 
as I guess, many of our firsthand experiences in, in American churches have revealed. Um, and so what Hirsch says is that you, you must start and continually return to Christology. Once again, it's just fancy language to say, uh, to become fixated on the person and the teachings and the life and the ministry and the presence of Jesus of Nazareth. You must start there. Uh, and then from there, you derive your missiology, your sense of to be, what does it mean to be a, a person defined by, uh, by Jesus' life, by, his, by an identity received from him? Um, it has movement to it, and that must be derived directly from the life, the teachings, the ministry, and the presence of Jesus. So Christology leads to missiology, which then, at the end, leads to ecclesiology, which is to say that our, our ecclesial forms, our systems, our structures, they should be among the most fluid of things that we experience in our, in our faith uh, because they'll, they'll need to be adaptive to changing circumstances, new contexts. It's not to say that tradition should be jettisoned, but if most of your traditional, if your, most of your traditions are rooted more in missiology and in Christology and less so in ecclesiology, uh, you won't find yourself, as a church, clinging to things that are not proving very effective at producing uh, the end result that you may say that you, that you desire, which, for us, just to put it front and center, is to fulfill what we just read in Matthew 28. These were some of the, the closing words of Jesus' life. Um, you know, early on, three years prior, he started putting together this, this motley crew, uh, inviting people, come, follow me, come, follow me, come, follow me. We know about the 12, but we know that he extended that, that invitation to uh, a wide circle beyond the 12. And these, this group of, you know, however many people, dozens, hundreds at times, uh, of people followed him around for three years. And then at the close... He said, what I've been doing with you, go now and do that with others. And, and I think what he's spelling out, it's, it's a mandate, it's a command, it's a commission, um, and, it's, and I think it's filled with, with all kinds of promise. I would say like untapped promise. Um, we've talked a lot about the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, the gifts and manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that'll be that'll be uh, a foundational piece of this as well. But what the Holy Spirit is really Himself concerned about is not people seeing signs and wonders that show His presence. What the Holy Spirit is is primarily concerned about is pointing people to Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. And so, if our ecclesial structures, our 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 systems, our our church cultures, the larger movement dynamics within which we're a part and, and, and uh, within which we're uh, existing, if they remain fluid and driven by the mission derived from the life and the teachings and the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, um, I, think, I think that's going to hold the keys to, um, to living in that commission just as our first century brothers and sisters did. We've been reading through the book of Acts and we're, we're, we're five chapters in and it's just so jam-packed with so much amazing stuff. And this is what happened when people took his words there seriously as a mandate for their lives, not just for the 12. The 12 may have been, uh, had critical roles to play, 
But it was it, it's obvious as you read of the, the, the Stevens and the Phillips and the Priscillas and Aquilas and the Lydias and a great many others, the Pauls, um, who, who took on uh, their Christology as the defining feature of their lives from which they discerned what their purpose on this planet was. And then as, as you know, brothers and sisters find each other and, and, and are formed into fellowships, uh, it gives birth to, to, to ecclesial forms that uh, proved powerful and effective in their times, and then they changed and adapted when they needed to. Um, but we are part of the problem. Because we've all been formed in and by these kind of impotent discipleship systems in the American church. It's almost all we've, we've ever known. I do not mean to disparage our churches presently. I think, I think Anthem Church is, is an amazing and brilliant church. I think Missio Dei is an amazing and brilliant church. I'm really speaking much more broadly and I'm appealing to what I assume is, is some of our experience um, caring about, about the way of Jesus uh, beyond the, the few churches that we're, that we're rooted in right now. Um, so, so I think some of us probably have a few notable exceptions in our first-hand experiences, but by and large, we are products of the same broken discipleship systems. Uh, even at Missio Day, sitting in staff meetings week after week, and, um, and like the question about how effective are we at making disciples of Jesus, it continues to come up, as it should, as it must, but some of it is born out of the fact that we we ourselves at Missio are needing to reckon with the fact that um, we're not necessarily seeing effective right. disciple making as a as a prominent uh, defining feature of our culture. Um, so without without you know speaking disparagingly about Missio or any other church in particular, uh, we are we are part of the problem because we have we're the the products of these churches with broken discipleship systems. And meanwhile, we're we're be constantly being formed by our by our broader culture. Um, it's radicalizing us, forming us into efficient consumers. It, it's forming us to become radically individualized, and it's it's forming us to be lured, constantly lured by the promises of pleasure and wealth and success. And so we bring all of that to our critiques. I bring all of that myself to my critique. Of American of the American church's broken discipleship systems, so we ourselves had to reckon with the fact that we are part of the problem. I say that not to condemn, not to judge, but to reckon with the reality of things. Um, but for all of us, Matthew twenty eight nineteen remains, where Jesus said, "Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son." and of the Holy Spirit. I think this is the NIV now. <laughs> Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This remains an unchanged and an unchanging mandate. It remains, to an extent, an indictment against the impotence of this American church within which we all exist. Um... I obviously don't mean this church, because this church is... <laughs> but it remains a promise uh, to all who would heed it, to all who would return once again to a radical picture of Jesus of Nazareth, our Christology, and then deriving from that our sense of mission and purpose. 
It's a promise that, as we, as we read earlier in the, in the verse that precedes this, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then those who go in his name, they go in that authority when they walk in step with his spirit, doing what he trains and empowers them to do. They become like him in their character, in their bodies. And whoever takes up this commission uh, as the timeless and personal directive that it is, they'll find themselves partnering with the creator of the universe in the radical renewal of reality because that is what Jesus is doing. He is radically renewing all of the cosmos and and our very selves. Uh, and, And as we take that on, we will find ourselves partnering with him in that work. Those who do will find themselves with their feet on the only path that will ever lead to the good life that every single one of us longs for. It's what it means that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. As we take on his identity, his mission, his lifestyle, we set our feet on a path that heads into flourishing. It heads, it heads towards, and it's the only path that heads towards what our, our lives, our bodies, our existence was, was purposed for. So for us, the answer to the crisis of discipleship, if that's what, it, in fact what it is um, in the American church, and here in our own souls, is this. And you've heard us say this. Practicing the way of Jesus for the renewal of Chicago. Practicing the way of Jesus. It's a phrase that represents for us a mission that we're devoting our lives to. It's, of course, directly connected to this, this grand project of church planting, but it For us, it goes way beyond a slogan for a church brand. Um, Practicing the way of Jesus for the renewal of Chicago. We're going to spend, as I said, a a few weeks just talking about some foundational pieces, but everything is going to come back to this, which is to say everything is going to come back to Christology, which is really to say everything is going to come back to Jesus. Who is he? What are we to understand about who we are? What our lives are for? I say this not to people, I don't assume that that's you know, particularly novel to anyone, but it has to be the thing that we keep coming back to. It has to be the thing that we continue to measure our gatherings, whatever they look like, against. Are they a part of, are they, are they five steps, are they ten steps removed from the mission and the purpose and the teachings of Jesus? If so, then they might need to be scrapped. Um, Practicing the way of Jesus for the renewal of Chicago. Um, Yeah, so uh, the the president of Alpha USA, Gerard Long, he he said this, this this quote just kind of grabbed me this week. He said, the conclusion from scripture and history, including recent events, is that when the church obeys the Great Commission and obeys Jesus' commandment to go and make disciples, not only are more people saved for eternity, but every part of society is renewed and restored. Instead of Satan and his kingdom reigning, God's will and kingdom break out on earth. So whether you are just linking up with us for a season or whether you're going to be kind of in this with us for the, for the long game um, or something else in between. I beg you, 
forsake all else, devote your life to being and making disciples of Jesus. There's really all told nothing else that matters. Now, if you're given that, you're also given a mandate to be the best husband and employee and father and son and daughter and so many other things. You're given a mandate to fulfill those roles as well. It doesn't mean you necessarily forsake all of those. It doesn't mean you forsake those. Let me take the necessarily out of there. Uh, but it does, it does shift priorities perhaps. Um, and, it does, and it does help keep the main thing the main thing. If all else, our roles as sons and daughters and fathers and husbands and employees and musicians and whatever else, fall, from our, fall in line from our following of Jesus, um, we'll find flourishing and renewal happening in all of those domains of our life as well. And if we don't, uh, we will likely find um, less than flourishing for sure, uh, we'll also find ourselves continuing to create broken systems that, that deviate from this central mandate that Jesus gave to his people. Um, I'm just so filled with faith and hope about what can happen. Once again, once again, this will not be the first time this has happened, but if a group of people commit themselves almost single-mindedly to being and making disciples of Jesus, which is another way of saying practicing the way of Jesus here, in this city, in this place, in this time. Uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to explore kind of more of the particulars about what it means to practice the way of Jesus. But we just kind of have to start here, plainly and simply, with this commission uh, that Jesus kind of closed out his, his ministry with, because... Um, when all else is said and done, like little else matters. Um, I'd love to kind of pray into this with, well, golly, we're almost out of time. Did I go longer than I said I was going to go? Um, Maria, does this bring anything to mind about, um, things that might be worth chatting about?